We're in our second week in our series on the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. I think it's critical and foundational to understanding this whole series. Um, but let me re- re- ah, reiterate one point from last week, last week's sermon, and it's this, that Jesus was praying, right? He was praying one time. We got, when he got done, the disciples looked at him and they asked him, they said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Now, when, he, when they asked him that, he didn't scold them. He didn't look down on them. He didn't say, you know, gosh, you guys ought to have this down by now. But instead, he taught them how to pray. And now for a lot of us, I think, I know it is for me, that um, the disciples struggling with how to pray is a comforting thing. Because a lot of us struggle with prayer. As Christians, it's just something that we wrestle with. At my previous church, once a month, we would have a prayer service on Wednesday night. And oftentimes what we do is we take about 10 minutes and um, we would just let people pray for 10 minutes. And what we do sometimes is we'd take the music off, there'd be nobody on a keyboard, nobody would be leaving them. We would just pray in dead silence for 10 minutes. And at the end of it, one time we, uh, we handed out a survey because we wanted to see and ask how people experience that time of prayer with God, no music, no nothing, just them and God for 10 minutes. And uh, here were some of the answers that people gave. One of them was, it was awkward. I kept wondering when it was gonna end. One person said, it was hard to stay focused because my mind kept wondering. Got any ADD people in here can relate to that one? One person said, it seemed futile to talk to God because how do I know if he was listening to me? And then my all-time favorite one, one person said, I fell asleep, right? That's University of Texas students for you. Um, but how many of y'all can relate to, that, to those statements? It's like, why is it that we can be, as Christians, we can be utterly convinced that we're supposed to pray, and we can even really want and desire to pray, but yet it still be so difficult to pray? Well, I'm convinced that Jesus knew it was gonna be difficult for us because when the disciples said, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? He taught them how to pray. And here, here was his response, Matthew 6, 9. Jesus said this. He said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. So Jesus tells the disciples after he asked them to pray, he says, this is how I want you to pray. And then he gave them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And I want to remind you that the Lord's Prayer is not meant to be a prayer that we memorize and quote word for word, but it's a model for how you're supposed to pray. It's a model for how you're supposed to pray. So each line of the Lord's Prayer is gonna teach us a part of what our prayer life should look like. And so I want, I want you to keep in mind through this series that we're not studying this line by line just to learn some cool theology on prayer, but we're studying this line by line because I think Jesus wants us to change how we pray. I think he wants us to pray the way he's walking us through this model. That's why he said, pray then like this. I think he meant it. And so I want this series to actually change the way we pray. So let's jump in and let's look at the very first thing Jesus tells us to pray. Okay, last week uh, we talked about how we approach God um, in humility. We go to the prayer closet, we approach him humility. In humility, we approach him with the idea that he wants to connect with us, that that's the primary thing he's doing. And then we're gonna see the first thing he tells us to pray when we pray. Look at Matthew 6, 9. 
Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. And so the first thing that Jesus teaches us to do when we pray is he teaches us how we're supposed to address God. And when he's doing that, he's, he's not just giving us words, but he's giving us how we're supposed to think about God when we pray. He's teaching us how we're to approach God when we enter into a time of prayer. And he says, look, when you approach God in prayer, and here's what you do. Here's how you address God. When you approach and address God in prayer, he says, our Father in heaven. Now, all we're gonna do today is we're gonna focus on those first two words, our Father. We're gonna look at in heaven next week. It's gonna be a two-word uh, sermon today. We're gonna focus on those two words, our Father, because if you will let those two words and their implications sink into your mind and sink into your heart, it will radically, radically change the way that you approach God when you pray. Now, my guess is, that if you've been around uh, the church for a while, you've been a Christian for a while, that those two words, our Father, um, are something that you've heard so many times that you don't think much about. Um, as a believer, the idea of calling God your Father is something that we just take for granted, right? He's our Father. But when Jesus told the disciples, when you address God, I want you to address him as our Father, that would have shocked the disciples. That would have stunned the disciples. I think it's very possible that when he said that, their jaws could have dropped open. Now, why in the world would that statement address God as our Father? Why would that have shocked the disciples? And here's the answer. Because before Jesus showed up on the scene, the idea of viewing God, much less addressing God as your Father, would have been a totally foreign concept, okay? Totally foreign. Think about it. What, was the, what were the Jewish people's view of God? before Jesus showed up on the scene? How did they think about God? How did they approach God? What was their view of God? Well, the, the Jewish people's understanding of God was that he was a God of unapproachable power and unapproachable might. He was the, he was the God that created the universe with the sound of his voice. He spoke it into existence. He was the God that sent plagues to Egypt and parted the Red Sea and freed them from slavery. He was the God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He was the God who, uh, whose presence dwelled in the Holy of Holies. And the only time he could be approached was once a year by the high priest who had consecrated himself in the blood of a spotless lamb. And before he went into the Holy of Holies, they would tie, uh, tie a, uh, a rope around his waist so that if he went in there and he encountered the presence of God and God smoked him, they could drag his dead body out. That was their view of God. They were so reverently fearful of the Lord that they wouldn't even speak his name. They would just write it, Yahweh. And so to the Jewish people, God was this all-knowing, all-powerful, transcendent, unapproachable God of heaven and earth. That was their view of him. And yet, when Jesus began the Lord's Prayer, he said, hey, I want you to pray this way. And he said, when you address God, here's how I want you to address God. I want you to address God as our Father. That would have been shocking. As a matter of fact, I want you to watch um, 
what he actually, don't watch, but I'm gonna say this, what, the word that he actually uses for father there is even more shocking. He says, when you dress God, say our father, but the word for father that he uses is not a formal word. Like if, if you're, uh, your dad were to walk in, you were to go, hello, father, that's very formal. But the word that Jesus uses is actually, you may have heard this before, it's Abba. It's a term of endearment. It's an intimate term. It literally means daddy. That would have even been more shocking. So as 21st century Christians, though, the idea of calling God your dad or your father is not something that you think twice about. But for the Jewish people, personally addressing God as their father would have been a foreign concept. As a matter of fact, I want you to watch quickly. Don't turn there, but watch how the Jewish leaders responded when Jesus called God his father. They flipped out. In John 5, 17, Jesus said, healed on the Sabbath, so they're mad about that. And then Jesus calls God his father, and then they really got mad. John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them, and he said, my father, so he calls God his father, my father is working until now, and I am working. And in verse 18, it says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. So everybody look at me, check this out. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he fundamentally changed the way people viewed God. He didn't change God because God hadn't changed, but they, he fundamentally changed people's view and understanding of who God is. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, he said the first thing he taught us, he said the first thing out of your mouth needs to be our father because I want you to view God and I want you to approach God as your dad, as your father. Now, um, again, we're 21st century Christians are like, yeah, I get that, but here's where the rubber meets the road for us. And I thought about this a lot because I, I am in this category. I think the majority of Christians in here intellectually get that God is our father. But here's the question. Even though you intellectually get that he's your father, the question is, are you actually approaching him like he's your father? I get that you understand he's your dad, but when you enter into your time of prayer, when you pray, are you praying to him like he's really your father? Because if I'm talking to people, and if I'm talking to you and I ask you the question, you know, what's it like to be a child of God? What would you say? You'd probably say, well, it's awesome, it's amazing. It's actually the most amazing thing in the world. I can't believe the fact that I was an enemy of God, but he sent his son to die on a cross. He lived the life that I could never live. He died the death that I deserve to take my place. I've received his righteousness. Being a child of God is the most amazing thing in the world. And I would look at you and I'd say, you're right. And then I'd ask you another question. If it's the most amazing thing in the world, how's your prayer life? What's it like spending time with your heavenly father? And what do we say? Remember the survey? <laughs> we say it was awkward. I wondered when it was going to end. We say it was hard to stay focused. Mine kept wondering. We say it was, I thought it was futile because I didn't know if he was listening. And we say, I fell asleep. Do you see the massive discrepancy there? Do you see the difference there? I'm convinced that the number one reason that we have such a difficult time in prayer is because for so many of us, we are intellectually convinced that God is our Father, but we're not actually approaching Him like He is our Father. 
And if we'll start doing that, if we'll start actually viewing him and actually approaching him like he is a good father and he is, that has the power to radically change our prayer life. Okay, I was listening to uh, um, uh, Pastor Tim Keller who gave an illustration to describe this, that a lot of time we have the wrong view of God and that's why we don't approach him the way we should. And the illustration that he gave, he said this, he said, and I want you to hear this, he said, when you, when you approach somebody um, to have some kind of interaction with them or, um, or, or ask something of them, he said, your level of interaction and the level of your ask of them is completely dependent on your level of your relationship. So if you're, if you're tuning out, I want you to listen to that. Your level of interaction with somebody and your level of ask that you're willing to make somebody is completely dependent on the level of your relationship. For example, I want you to imagine that you are on vacation with your family in another city. Let's say you're in New York City, okay? And you, you get lost and you needed directions. You would completely feel the freedom to approach some random person and ask them for directions, right? Why? Because even though they're a complete stranger to you, the level of, of interaction and, and what you're asking of them is so minimal that you could be fairly confident they're gonna listen to you and answer your question, right? Come up to a stranger, hey, where should I go? They'll tell you, right? Um, but let's say you're on vacation, say you're in New York City. Would you ever walk up to a complete stranger and say, hey, uh, we're kind of lost. Um, would you give me directions? But actually, um, not only would you give me directions, but do you mind showing me around a little bit today? And, um, and after you show me around, can, uh, can you take me to dinner tonight after that? And, and oh yeah, would you, can, can we sleep over at your house tonight? That you would never do that. Why? Because the level of your relationship is too small for the ask that you just made. Every single time we approach someone with an ask, we do so based on the level of our relationship, okay? But as the level of your relationship goes up and deepens, then the level of your ask can go up. I'm gonna give you an example. Um, Jennifer and I were landlords for just a very little while when we were in Austin. We had a rent house for about a year. And the people that were renters were awesome. They were great people. They, uh, they always paid their rent on time. They were awesome. And so let me ask you this, you know, considering that we had a good business relationship with them, what if they called me at 10 a.m. in the morning, right? 10.30 in the morning. And they said, Matt, we have a leaky faucet. Would you be willing to come over here and fix our faucet? What's my answer gonna be? Right, my answer's gonna be yes. Well, I won't go because I don't know how to fix a leaky faucet, but um, my answer is gonna be yes. Um, I'll send somebody there. I'll do it immediately. Bye, because they're good people and we have a good business relationship. But what if those same people call me at 2 a.m. in the morning, wake me up and say, Matt, we have a leaky faucet. Would you come over here at 2 a.m. in the morning and fix the faucet? What am I gonna say? I'm gonna say, um... <laughs> No, right? I love y'all, y'all are great, uh, you're great renters, but I'm not coming over at 2 a.m. in the morning to fix your faucet, why? Because even though we have a good business relationship with these people, there is a limit to what they can ask me. There is a limit to my availability to them, even though we have a good relationship because it's only a business relationship, okay? So let's raise the level of the relationship one more time. What about my children? 
What about my kids, right? As their father, what's the level of the ask they can make of me as my kids? What is, uh, what's my level of availability to them, right? They're my kids. Well, let's imagine that my son, my oldest son, J.D., He's a junior at A&M. Let's imagine that uh, he was hanging out here in Houston with us over the weekend, and he was going back late Sunday night to go to A&M, and, um, and he calls me at 2 a.m. in the morning, and he wakes me up, and he says, Dad, I'm stranded on the side of the road between Houston and College Station. I need your help. Can you come right now and get me? What's my answer going to be? I'm not going to be like, well, sorry, kid. It's 2 a.m. Let's do this. Why don't you just go to sleep in your car? I'll get up in the morning, and I'll come get you. That's not what I'm gonna do. My son calls me at 2 a.m. in the morning. First of all, I'm gonna answer the phone. Second of all, I find out he's stranded on the side of the road. I'm immediately getting up, I'm putting on my clothes, and I am getting to him as fast as I can. Driving like a madman to get there, actually. Why? Because he is my child. When it comes to my children, within the law, there is no limit to what they can ask me. None whatsoever. And, and on top of that, there is no limit to my availability to them. And so if you are a believer here today, you need to let this sink in. Some of us, many of us need to let this sink in. We don't think about that God that way. But what, here's what we need to sink in, that God is your father and you are his child. And there is no limit to what you can ask him. And there is no limit of his avail availability for you, okay? And so for many of us, the reason prayer is so difficult, here's why we struggle so badly. It's because we intellectually get that he's our father, but we're not actually approaching him like he's our father. Now, some of y'all are probably thinking, well, okay, I get that. I believe that, that he's my dad, and there's no limit to what I can ask him, and there's no limit to his availability, okay? If that's true, Matt, then why does God not always answer my prayers? Well, that's a fantastic question. Let's go back to the illustration of my own children, okay? Let's think about my kids for a second. If there's no limit to what my children can ask me, and there's no limit to my availability to them, under what scenario would I say no to a request of my children? So if they were asking something dumb, right? If they were asking something that I knew was not in their best interest, that would be the only scenario. Or let's say, you know, let's imagine for a second that my, my son, Sammy, he's, uh, he's about to turn 17. But uh, let's imagine another scenario. Let's imagine I was actually a billionaire, which I am not. But if I was a billionaire, I want you to imagine that. I have unlimited resources. And my son, Sammy, comes to me right before his 16th birthday. And he said, you know, Dad, considering you're a billionaire, um, I've been thinking about this. And I've been thinking about the kind of car I want you to buy for me for my birthday. I've done my research. And dad, I would love for you to buy me for my 16th birthday. I'd love for you to buy me a Lamborghini. And he's dead serious. He's like, I want a red one, right? What is my answer gonna be to my son? My answer to his request, even though he can ask me anything he wants to, my answer to his request is gonna be absolutely not. Because as his father, I have the wisdom to know if I give a 16-year-old boy a Lamborghini, what are they gonna do? They're gonna wrap it around a tree. Our heavenly father deals with us in the exact same way, okay? While 
our Father has unlimited resources and he has unlimited availability to us. He also has unlimited wisdom. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the first, he's the last. He sees the whole timeline. And so if you're asking your very good God, your very good Father for something, he's not answering your prayer, it's because in his wisdom he knows it's not in your best interest. And so Jesus is saying here, when he's teaching us how to pray, he says, you come into the prayer closet and let the first thing out of your mouth be our Father. And it's to remind you that you are approaching a heavenly father that loves you and adores you and is always available to you and will always answer you according to what is best for your life. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that there's probably a good portion of us in the room here today um, that you're hearing this and that you're hearing that God is a good father um, and that he loves you and he's always available to you. And you were even singing earlier, he's a good, good father, but it's just not registering with you. It's hard for you to really get your mind around. It's hard for you to really accept that and believe that. And the reason that that's hard for you to get your mind around is because you didn't have a good earthly father that modeled what a father's supposed to look like. Um, when it came to your earthly dad, there's some of us in the room that there was a limit to what you could ask him. It's hard to imagine there's no limit to what you can ask God because when it came to your dad, there was absolutely a limit to what you could ask him because if you asked the wrong thing, you would get angry, maybe even abusive. When it came to your earthly father, there was a limit to his availability because he wasn't there. And so it's hard to imagine and approach God as this good father that is always immediately and completely available to you because you had a dad that was completely absent emotionally or even physically. So it's difficult for you to imagine God as this good, available, heavenly father. Other, others of you had a dad like my dad. My dad was a good dad. He, uh, I loved my dad and he loved me. And I knew that when I was growing up. Um, and he was also present in my life. He was there, but my dad was the kind of dad, and if you're listening, dad, I love you, um, by the way. But my dad was one of those dads that was hypercritical. Anybody have a critical dad growing up? A few of us. Um, and he was, he was like always driving me to be better. It's always driving me to be better. And so the result of that, there were times, is that sometimes I felt like I wasn't good enough. Good dad, always there in my life. But he was the kind of dad, if I had a baseball game and I got three at-bats in the baseball game, and in my first at-bat, I got a single, got on base. Second at-bat, I got a double, got on base. And third at-bat, I struck out. I went two for three. That's really good. If you don't know baseball, if you go two for three your entire career, you go to the Hall of Fame, okay? I'd go two for three, single, double, and strike out. We'd get in the truck, and I'm thinking, man, I just crushed that today. He'd get in, and immediately he would just be like, hey, talk to me about the strikeout. And I look back on it, I've done it, I get it. He was just trying to get me to be better and that sort of thing, but here's what that did to me. As a child, it produced in me a sense that I was never quite good enough. And I'm telling you, I can't tell, tell you how many times I've projected that right on God. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've done that. Like I read this book that says that God loves me and that he's pleased with me, and that my sin is completely forgiven, and yet when I sin, 
It's difficult to approach God as a heavenly father that loves me and likes me and is pleased with me because I know I just failed. And so I struggled to approach God because I, it's not his fault, it's my fault. I just never think I've done enough to please him. And so if you're in either one of those camps that you struggle to, to really believe and really easily approach God as this amazing, loving father that is always available, always loves you because of the dad you had, I wanna show you two quick things today and we're gonna be done. But I wanna show you two quick things that I want you to remember today. And I want you to start living it out. And if you will, it'll radically change your prayer life real quick. John 1, 11. In verse 11, John says, and he, talking about Jesus, he came to his own. Talking about the Jewish people. says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive Jesus, who did receive him, who believed in his name, watch what it says. It says he gave the right to become children of God. That all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That word right is key. That what the scripture just says is the moment you believed in the name of Jesus, that you trusted in the name of Jesus, your Lord and Savior, he gave you the right to be his child. What is a right? A right is something that you are entitled to because of who you are. So as American citizens, you have the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? And so because that is your right, you have absolute full authority to exercise those rights. And because it's your right, they cannot be taken away from you. And so what the Bible is saying is that in the moment you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God gave you the absolute right and the absolute authority to exercise those rights to approach God as your father. That he's your child. That is your Right. Now, again, as a, as, a, as a guy that had a dad that was critical at times, and sometimes I project that on God, again, I hear that. It is my right to approach God as my dad, and, I'm, and I still have a tendency to go, well, that's great that I have the right to do that, but how does God really feel about me? I've messed up a lot. How does he really feel about me? Can I really trust that when I approach God that he really loves me, that he's really pleased with me, that he really likes me? If that's you, and it may not be many people in the room, but I know, there, I know there's a few of you. If that's you, I want to show you something that I think has the power to forever change your life. Check it out. Matthew 6, 9. This is so powerful. Look at Matthew 6, 9 one last time. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father. Now, we've been camping out on the word father, but we haven't talked about the word our. And that word our right there is just as powerful as father and it just has the same amount of ability to change your prayer life because what Jesus did not say, what Jesus did not say is pray then like this, the father who's in heaven, didn't say that. He didn't say pray then like this, my father, who's in heaven. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father, who's in heaven. And when you understand that, when you're saying why he does that, it'll blow your mind. Check this out, everybody look at me. The reason Jesus said our Father is to show us that you and I share sonship and daughtership 
with God on the exact same level that Jesus does. You and I share sonship and daughtership with the Father in the exact same level that Jesus does. Jesus is literally saying, Jesus is saying, God is my Father in the exact same way, in the exact same level, he's your Father. He's our Father. And some of you are like, wait a minute. Um, Again, I believe that God is my father, but the scripture says that I'm adopted into the family of God. You're actually his son. So I'm adopted into the family. So I'm, I'm kind of like a second tier kind of child or I'm a second, third level kind of child. There's absolutely no way that I share Jesus. There's no way that I share sonship and daughtership with you, Jesus, on the same level. There's no way. But if that's what you think, I wanna show you quickly. Check out Romans 8, 16, because it blows that idea out of the water. Look at Romans 8, 16 and 17. Paul says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so Paul is reiterating this fact. You are his child. But then Paul goes to another level. We're not just his children. We'll give verse 17. He said, and if we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs. We're not just children, we're heirs of God. What's an heir? An heir, that's somebody that receives an inheritance. An heir is a person legally entitled to the property or title of another person. It's unbelievable. Paul is saying, not only are you God's child, but you're an heir of God. You're gonna get an inheritance. And if that were not cool enough, we could just stop right there and worship. We're an heir of God. That's awesome. But he keeps going. Look at verse 17. He says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And then look at that last part. And fellow heirs with Christ. Why are you guys not on the floor? Did you catch what it just said? You're a fellow heir with Christ. That word fellow heir in the NIV, it says you're a co-heir with Christ. The King James says you're a joint heir with Christ. Everybody look at me, check this out. Joint heir, co-heir, it means an heir of the exact same value and the exact same standing. Let that sink in. Paul said you're a co-heir. You're a joint heir with Christ. That you're an heir of the exact same value and exact same standing of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And here's what that means. When you're a joint heir with Christ, that means that God views you just like he views Jesus. That he loves you just like he loves Jesus. That he listens to you just like he listens to Jesus. He responds to you just like he responds to Jesus. That's why Jesus said, he's our father. Isn't that amazing? So if you had an abusive dad or an absent dad or a critical dad, look at me. That's not who God is. Because of the blood of Jesus, because Jesus Christ died on a cross, now when God looks at you, you're not a second class heir, second class child. 
He looks at you, he views you, he listens to you, he responds to you on the exact same level that he does, his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And so if you're not praying, you're not taking advantage of that. Whenever you look at Jesus praying in the scripture, it's it's almost as if as soon as Jesus opens his mouth, It's like God just immediately just bends his ear to listen to his son. That he's ready to just jump in and do whatever it is that his son is asking. You are a joint heir with that man. You're his child, you're his son, you're his daughter. And if you're not praying, you're not taking advantage of that. You're not taking advantage of the fact that you have the king of kings and the Lord of lords as your good, perfect, amazing heavenly father that loves you, listens to you, responds to you the same way he does Jesus. It would be like having a tumor and having the greatest surgeon in the world as your dad, but not coming to him to get the tumor out. It'd be like you being hungry. I'm done, hang with me. It'd be like you being hungry. And you having the greatest chef in the world as your dad and you not coming to him for some food. It would, be, it would be like somebody was bullying you and somebody was picking on you and you had Dwayne The Rock Johnson as your dad and you're not coming to him. It doesn't make any sense. This is incredible. I hope you don't just go on to lunch, but I hope that you take some time today or maybe tomorrow and really ponder this. It's incredible. And I happen to know, though, that you need to ponder it because I've been thinking about it all week. And I also happen to know this, that I would guess that the vast majority of us in this room, look at me, guys, I'm done. Check this out. I I would bet the vast majority of us in this room do not believe what I just said. That we're joint heirs. And because of that, God views us and listens to us and responds to us and loves us and likes us in the exact same way he does Jesus. I I believe with all my heart we don't believe that. I'm going to tell you why. I know that because I don't believe it. I get it cognitively, but I have a feeling that if I really believe that and really started approaching God that way in prayer, it would radically change my life. It would radically change the way that I pray. Think about it. If you really believe this, Would you ever worry again that you're a joint heir with Christ and the creator of heaven and earth is your daddy? Would you ever worry again? Would you ever fear again? Would you ever doubt the goodness of God again? No, I don't think you would and I wouldn't either. But that's the promise of God. He's your father and you're his child. So let's not approach him like a stranger. Let's not approach him like a landlord. Let's approach him like a daughter and like a son because that's who we are.